an amazing, living, listening, speaking God. That having a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ by believing on his name, receiving him as Savior, is an amazing, amazing privilege. I don't know if you thought about what, what a powerful thing that is, that you can be forgiven of your sin, may become a new creature in Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit, have the empowering of God. Jesus said, when I go away, my Father and I will make our home in you. I will abide with you. You abide in me, I'll abide in you. And what a privilege that is, and a, a, it's an amazing thing. The last number of weeks, we've been talking about this important issue of listening to God, listening to his word to us, not only as reading the Bible, which is very important, of, of walking in God, is reading his word and allowing his word to speak to us, and, um, but also the matter of listening. We're good at talking to God. We're good at outlining our prayers, our needs, our concerns, our, our, our desires uh, for guidance, for help, for comfort. We have that. And we often are very good at it as we go along in life because we need God. We tell him our troubles and, um, and help. But often we stop at the word amen. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And get up and walk away and consider that doing something about relationship with God, which is truth. I mean, we ought always to pray and not to give up and not to faint. We ought to always pray. The Holy Spirit will help us to pray. But it's the matter of then stopping to listen to what he says back to us. Because he's not a God of wood and stone that doesn't have ears to hear or a mouth to speak or any kind of heart to feel where we are. The Bible says that Jesus felt our infirmities. He was touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He knows you. How many of you know that God knows you? Oh, three of you. That's good. The other part, get along here. God knows you. God knows where you're sitting. He knows how many hairs are not I mean, on your head. He knows all that. And he cares about you, and he has something to say. We've talked about uh, responding to those uh, urgings of the Holy Spirit as uh, we might have a thought. You ought to call brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. You ought to call that person. You ought to stop and say hi. You ought to send a card. All those kind of things we talked about responding to those and finding out that God had that ordained for you at that time, at that moment, and you didn't know. You just sort of did it, and they said, how did you know? Well, I didn't know. I just did what I felt God told me to do. That's learning to walk in the Spirit, learning to respond, and to do, and to say what He says. How we walk and how to encourage, we're learning, hopefully we're learning to be responsive to the Lord, how to care for others and, and to have loving encouragement to others. So I could have a little test here. How's it going? I could ask you, have any testimonies? I won't ask that because they've only given me so, so many minutes today because I have jet lag and they want me to quit early enough that you can all go to sleep. Anyway, so I won't ask you to say it out loud, but you can share it with somebody. I want to tell you what happened. I want to tell you. I listened to the Lord and this is what happened. Because those kind of things encourage each other. We are encouraging each other daily. So how's it going? Have you heard the Holy Spirit speak to you? Have you responded to that? Giving you guidance what to do. Are you learning to be there? Now, what do we mean by that? About a month ago, maybe, maybe more, maybe less, I forget. But I wrote a PJ Connection. And by the way, for those of you who are still wondering about what does PJ stand for, that does not stand for pajamas. 
I had somebody who's been in our church for many, many weeks and years and said, what is that PJ? You know, are you, do you write this in your pajamas? I said, no, no, simple. Pastor Jim connection, okay? Just try to clarify things while I'm back. I want you to know in case you've asked. But anyway, I wrote this article about uh, in the PJ Connection, Exodus 24, and it was verse 12. When God established the covenant with Israel, said to Moses in verse 12, he said, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. Your translation might say stay there or remain there. But the King James Version and many other versions use the terminology, and to be there. Now, that's interesting when God says, come someplace, and you show up, and he said, I want you to be there while you're here. Now, I think you're getting the point that sometimes you can physically be in a place, but not be there mentally, emotionally, or any other way. You're really not there, but you're there in body. Early this morning, I wrote a little note to our crew that went to Norway. That was my son and daughter-in-law and three grandchildren, Judy and me. So we're there, and I wrote a thing. It said, 60 hours ago, our bodies left Norway. But I looked around and found our hearts were still there because we have a lot of memories. And they're responding. He said, boy, isn't that the truth? I don't want to be go to work tomorrow morning. I want to go back to Norway. You see, we're here, but we're really there in our thoughts. You do that oftentimes in your walk with God, unfortunately. We all do it. Where we come into the Bible and we go to the Word of God and say, God, this morning I want to hear your voice. I'm in your Word. And we're not there because as we're reading down through the Bible, you might be up on the mountain in the position to hear him, but you're not there. I've had, you, I know you've had it because you read something and you say, what did I just read? Had to go back and read it again. Done reading and say, what did I read? Go back and read it. And why? Because you're trying to focus to be there. And that's what God told Moses. I want you to be there. Physically someplace else. And not or physically be there, but mentally being there. It's the intentional having a hearing ear. We've talked about that in the last number of weeks, having a hearing ear. But there's another aspect of learning how to listen to God. The God who's speaking to us. The God who's written his word, filled with the Holy Spirit, who's going to guide us. is a matter of hearing God speaking to us in his word by the Holy Spirit, the other aspect is having a pure heart. He that has an ear, let him hear. But having a pure heart is another dimension of hearing that we cannot ignore. And what I'm going to share this morning might be, um, oh, that's interesting, but I want you to be there because this is probably the harder part of this call of God, is to have a pure heart. I'll talk about that in just a minute, what purity is and what, I'm t- what the Bible talks about and means about having a pure heart. I said it over again, our trip to Norway was an incredible trip on so many different levels. We're going to be processing it through the weeks after this. But just a couple of quick observations when we were in another country is how many Burger Kings there are. <laughs> there are Burger Kings everywhere. Two McDonald's that I glimpsed as we drove by, but Burger King has taken Norway. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. But the other is Circle K gas stations. They are everywhere, Circle K. And we joked about how many of those are. But there is one thing that really struck me concerning purity because we no longer get to Oslo, get off the plane, and you begin to see signs that said, 
You can drink our water from the tap anywhere you are. Our water is pure. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a little dubious of water that comes out of the tap, depending whether I'm at your house or our house. I'm not sure about ours. I don't know about yours, but we live in a place, and we've all had those boil alerts. If you live in the city, they have a boil alert. Said, don't drink the water. If there's stuff in there that's going to damage you because of some break in the line. And so we have been trained in our country. Of course, we're massive in terms of population and, and all the infrastructure that we have and all the old parts of that. But their water was pure. You could really, really, literally take your bottled water, put it under tap, fill it up, and it is clean as clean could be. And I thought, isn't it interesting that they make a point of it everywhere? Drink the water. It's pure. It struck me that this matter of purity was in their water. Now, let me just open up another issue. Uh, the issue of pureness, pure water. Here at Suffield Fellowship, where we are, you might have noticed but have been just never asking the question, why do we have a pitcher of water, water dispersion to, uh, thing? Jet lag just hit right there, and I don't know what happened. It's that thing you push and the water comes out. Okay, but it's right beside a drinking fountain. Now, I don't know if you ask, well, that's odd. Why don't you just drink the water? Well, it isn't that our water is bad, except that a number of years ago, we went through a period of time here where in our testing of the water to make sure it's safe to drink and pure and all that stuff, we began to miss, uh, to have bad tests that come, came out. I mean, the water's polluted. We had to put up signs around the water, drink, don't drink the water for 30 days. And so we went through the process of having it tested, and we had to chlorinate our well. And every day for seven days, we had to test it again and test it and test it and test it until we had enough pure samples to be able to make that, uh, able to be drunk, drink it again. You could wash with it, all that kind of stuff, but you couldn't drink it. This happened a couple of times over a period of about a year and a half. Don't know why, but it costs us a lot of money to keep it tested. So finally, the deacon said, listen, this is costing us a lot of money to keep testing. And then the people are really nervous about it because there's big signs, don't drink the water. And uh, at least it didn't say don't drink the Kool-Aid because that could be something else. <laughs> but anyway, they, um, we said, well, let's just get bring in uh, certified pure water and we'll just drink that. And we've done that for all these years, so we've done it. Why? Because somehow impurities got in the water and made it difficult for us. Our water is good, but uh, it wasn't worth the risk to you. So the issue of purity is important, even in drinking water. And I think of the, okay, God, what the pure water, what, what are you looking for? You're working for a pure heart, a pure heart. We need a pure, undivided heart if I would hear God. I might have ears to hear him, but if that re receptacle, the pureness of my heart is not a pure heart, I'm not going to be able to process that, and it will be a distortion, and it will also not fulfill everything God wants to fulfill in the Word because I'm harboring impurities in my heart. Purity is an absence of contamination, the elimination of evil out of my heart. But that's only part of the definition of purity, the other side is single-mindedness, the desire and commitment to one thing or one purpose. 
I would pray that every couple that stands in front of the judge or the pastor, wherever, to get married, say, I'm coming with a pure heart of love towards you. And we would understand that I only have one thing in mind. I'm single-hearted in my commitment to you. I want to be with you, none other. All other guys and gals in our lives are gone. This is us, purity. I only desire to be married to you. It's a pure love, we call that. It's, it's coming there with a, it's a purpose. And, and, but Israel, if our example that we've been looking at often, tried to mix things up all the time. They were always mixing something up in their worship and service of God. If you've been reading through your Bible this past year and following the plan that uh, we made available for you, you may have read in the last several days out of 2 Chronicles, let's turn there, 2 Chronicles 30, 2 Chronicles 30, um, and that was just a few days ago, and 2 Chronicles 30, and uh, verse 5, Hezekiah, the king, um, had decided we're going to have a, a uh, celebrate the Passover, and you get down in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, down at verse uh, 6, beginning in the middle of verse 6, he said, people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the king of, the Assyria, of Assyria. Don't be like your parents and your fellow Israelites who are unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So they made them to be an object of horror. As you see, don't be stiff-necked as your ancestors were. Submit to the Lord. Come to his sanctuary which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God, so his fierce anger will be turned away from you. If you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassion. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Now that was his call. Basically, is a call to a purity of devotion, devotion and heart. Say, come back to God. Get things right in your heart. Come back to him. And, he, and the king made that uh, command or that call to the people. Verse 10, the couriers went from town in Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun, but people scorned and ridiculed them. They said, get out of here. What are you talking get, get out of here. Nevertheless, verse 11, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. And also in Judah, the hand of God was upon the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials ordered, following the word of God. Here's the matter. Anybody can preach about the purity of heart to God. God desires purity in our inward hearts. God wants that. But there will be some that will scorn that issue and say, you don't understand what it is to live in the impure world that I live in, and I live in this, and it's okay that I participate and look in at it and watch it and even participate, be a part of it. And they scorned the call of God to purity. But some heard the word, did the action necessary in humility, humbled themselves, and came back and said, I will do it. I'm going to follow my God. That was one lesson. Go over to chapter 33. Now, this is another king. As you know, this is a story in Chronicles of the Kings. This is Manasseh. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Manasseh, but Manasseh was a bad bad king. He did about every evil thing you can imagine, worshiping other gods, idols. He even sacrificed his own children to the idols. He was bad. 
But now look down at verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Hear the words? Spoke. They heard it, but refused to pay attention to it. So the Lord had brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner. Look at this. Put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. In his distress, uh, there was a great preacher back in the day. I, he may still be living. I don't know Bob Mumford, but he said, God will fix a fix to fix you. He will put you in a position that we're going to be fixed. Manasseh was put, taken by the Assyrian, or to Babylon, took him to Babylon, but they put a hook in his nose. Now, this is not the modern day ringing your nose, your ears, or wherever you pin it or whatever. This was a deliberate prison issue where that hook goes in the nose and they're dragging him away. You can imagine how difficult and terrible that was. But in his distress, he sought the favor of the, the Lord his God, humbled himself before himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord Yahweh was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem, his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Verse 15, he got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image of the temple of the Lord as well as the altars he had built on the temple hill in Jerusalem. He threw them out of Jerusalem. He threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord, sacrificed fellowship offerings, thank God, on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. They took the high place of, of, of idol worship, didn't tear them down, but tried to worship God there. You see the mixture going on? We're not unlike Israel. We said, yes, God, I come to you, I purify. Lord, I don't want any of the stuff in my life, but uh, okay, I'll just do this little bit over here. Manasseh humbled himself, but the people said, well, we're going to mix this up just a little bit. That's not a pure heart. Je Jesus said it um, to the woman at the, uh, at the well. The Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, purity Purity is freedom from dirt, free from anything else, even the purity of other things, other material. For example, you could have a gold wedding ring, but it's 14 carat, 24 carat, whatever that carat is. It's a mixture in order for that to substantiate what's there. And that could be valuable. You could have silver in your gold, a diamond in your gold, and all that kind of stuff, but it's still mixed up. Gold is gold is gold is gold. When it's gold, it's gold. It isn't mixed up with anything. A pure heart is that kind of a heart. It's pure. There's nothing mixed in there. It's one that wills and seeks and desires and wants only one thing. A pure heart only wants one thing so that every decision, every choice, every evaluation that I make in my life is based on that one desire. It really is the, the real person, pure. All the pretense, 
all the regulated behavior that I try to walk in the law, I try to walk, walk in, in every way to please people and to be all this kind of thing, presenting all that stuff, all the old concepts I have about what life is, all of that is, and all the guards I put up around myself to protect myself from others and even my own heart are stripped away and it's pure before God, the real you, in purity and in truth. And we know the only way that can happen is Jesus washing us from sin, making us new creatures, but we're working and acting towards having one desire. Go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 27. Psalm 27, we'll just look at a couple here. Psalm 27 and verse 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. David, in such wonderful ways that he always does it, writes out of his heart. But he comes to verse 4 of Psalm 27, and the whole psalm is just amazing. But verse 4 says, One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm moving my heart to one thing. I want to get rid of all other things. I want one thing. Um, God, this is what a pure heart might look like, God. I, I want it to be one thing. Purity. I ask the Lord, this only do I seek. And what is it that he was seeking? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And I, the difficult part of this message is, 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 well, how does that work? I mean, how am I going to get that accomplished in the world that I live in? I still have to go to work. I still have those funny relatives I have. I still have these neighbors that are giving me grief. I still have that coworker that drives me to distraction. What, how am I going to do that at the same time as I have to live out here? I tell you how it is done. It's by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, getting my heart in a place when every reaction I have, every response I have, comes from a heart that's wholly dedicated to Jesus. I belong to you, Lord, and I want you to be the center. I want to be in your house, and not just because it's a faraway place, because you said you dwell in me, that I would be in a house of peace, a house of love, a house, a house of order, that my life would be formulated around you and you only. That's the privilege. Go to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verse 25. Again, the psalmist cries out. This is Asaph, one of the worship leaders, cries out. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. That's a place we have to work towards so that I can live my life. What do I desire? What is my desire? We rented a really nice car in Oslo, and I kept thinking, I want this car. Can I take it in my carry-on luggage and bring it back? And of course I can't. But then I think of that, well, what do I desire a car for, for crying out loud? It's just a car. It's got four wheels. It gets there nicely. But anyway, it's a car. But if you would stack up your desires, I want a bigger house. I want a smaller house. I want a different neighborhood. I want a different relative. I want different, different. I want, I want, I want. I need, I need, I need. Uh, is that what you desire? What is your desire? We're, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're those that claim to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we desire? 
You know, uh, I, I was with a group of pastors one time, and uh, pastors often, often our, our, our privilege really is to help and serve and encourage others. That's what I want to do, exhort and encourage you to follow Jesus better. But that becomes somewhat of a pastoral thing, and so we're in a line, about six of us, and we're all paying for our, our lunch because we had had a little lunch meeting and each one. And way in the back, there's this guy who said, I need, I need, I want, I want. Everybody ignored him. Pastor, I need, I need. And so they said, be quiet. We're not on duty. We're eating lunch. That's, that's a pastor joke. You'll never get it. But anyway, it's like moms. Moms, you know this. Mommy, 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 mom. I need, I need. Husbands, you know this. I'm not needing that need. I'm done with you. Listen, God wants our hearts. That's what I have no one I desire besides you, Lord. Now, how important is this to God? I'm saying it's important to us based upon the word of God. But what does God say about all this? Go to the book of Jeremiah. God gives promise to a people a group of people who are in captivity and all that that entailed for them. But Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29, in verse 13. Now, many of you know 11 and 12. Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12. Because you've heard this uh, at weddings, you hear this all the time, uh, graduations, different times, you people, for I know the plans I have for you. Verse 11, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, then you will call on me and come to pray to me, and I'll listen to you. Now, most of the time, when those verses are quoted, that's where it stops. They don't read in front of it or, or after it, before it and afterwards. This is spoken to a people in captivity, and God said, don't be discouraged, don't be dismayed, because I have plans for you. I have good plans for you. Even in your circumstances, I have plans for you. And then they stop with the good plans. I've got a future and a hope. And they don't read the next verse. It says, verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back. I will be found by you. You're going to seek me and I will let you find me. I will allow you to come before me, and I will give you the answer you need. I'll bring you out. But if you don't seek him, how do we seek him? With a pure heart. No other desire but him. And I, uh, he gives promise. God's desires for people is that the Lord searches the earth for those whose hearts are, are after his, wholly after his. Second Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord search the entire earth to find those whose hearts are wholly his and that he might show himself strong on their behalf. Second Chronicles 16.9. And then what about us today? James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse 7. James chapter 4. Again, I, want, I, I give you a lot of Old Covenant scriptures of the Old Testament, but the same comes true in the New. It is, it's founded in the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Word. But in the book of James, 
God tells us this, verse 7, James 4, 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Again, we like to stop with that. You come draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. Great truth. We don't like the second part of that. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. There is a process that God says when I'm about the matter of, of seeing that you're, you're um, moving towards a pure heart, that's going to have you face into things. Face into what's there and why it's there. It's going to cause me to say, but Lord, what am I going to do with that? And, and he's going to say, you need to repent of that. You need to grab hold of that and get rid of that evil in your heart. Remove it. Purify your head. Wash your hands, you sinner. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Change that instead of a happy-go-lucky Oh, I'm, everything's going to be fine all the way to heaven. No, get it dealt with so that the humility of that, God said, now you're in a position I can lift you up and walk in victory. And you can see that happen. We try to follow God and try to follow the world. You can't do it. It's double-mindedness. James chapter 1, just a couple chapters back in verse 6, it says, uh, 1, 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person not should accept, expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Double-mindedness is against a pure heart. It's a heart that's doubled. It's going two different ways at the same time. Now, if this is important to God, which it is, how can I cooperate with him? I won't have you turn there. You can write it down and look at it later. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Search me, O God. That procedure... Search me, O oh God. What if, what if God searches and he finds something? And, you, and he points it out. What are you going to do with it? Ask for forgiveness? Certainly. Repent of it? Certainly. But I want to go one final step further this morning and say we need to experience the cleansing of God. Now, what do I mean? What's the difference between forgiveness and cleansing? What is that difference? It's the difference in cutting off a weed with your lawnmower or weed eater at the ground or pulling it up by the roots. Forgiveness and cleansing are different. Forgiveness has to do with the results of sin. You've done something. You need to stop it. You need to get rid of it. Cleansing has to do with the cause of that action and that sin. Forgiveness comes by confession and restitution. 
I'm sorry, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? I will restore to you what I took from you. I will give it back. I will make it right. That's forgiveness. That's the process of forgiveness. Our grandson was our, our guide in our car. The other family was in their car. And we said, Candon, the technology, we need you. Please tell me what all these things mean. Oh, turn this way. It was the wrong way. Sorry. Turn, sorry. It kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Cannon, stop it. You're not, we don't need to know you're sorry. Just get us where we got to go. That's all we need. But I kept thinking, in his sorrow, he was just, that was a polite way to say, whoops, I messed that up. But there was no restitution needed. Just get me where I need to go. Oftentimes in life, we end up asking and say, or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, never did it again, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's cutting the weed off. I'm sorry. And then it happens again. I'm sorry. And if you raise children long enough, you know that sorry doesn't last a whole long time. Pretty soon, I'm going to say, no more sorry business. Change your ways. Cleansing gets to the root of the issue. It's a life change. It's walking in the truth. Walk a different way. You can only walk a different way when the root of that thing is pulled out. Am I making any sense? Some of you look like you're in my jet lag. Are you still with me? Go to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. Or first, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 5. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and claim to you. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we came, claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, he is in the light and we have fellowship one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Notice that the word was not forgives us of all sin, purifies us from all sin. And it's attached to the matter of walking in the spirit, walking in truth, walking in reality, walking to the... The problem is that we always go to God, forgive. I'm sorry, God, please forgive. I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God. And he's a wonderful God. He will forgive. However... Over and over again we do it, but the reason is we never experience his cleansing deep within. And that's the part that I have to get to. The cause of the issue has not been eradicated. You cut it off in a short time, it'll come back up. You know that. You go through your garden and just whack it off, and you say, oh, fine, it's good, it's gone. Oh, yeah, give it a week or two if it ever rains in Ohio. You give it a week or two, it'll come up again. You whack it off, it'll come up again. But what you have to do is get down there and dig out the roots of it in order for it to be gone. So if you keep committing the same sin over and over, you need to ask God to show you what the root is. Holy Spirit, would you shine, search me. Shine this on the why I'm doing what I'm doing. The cause of this. What is our part in that process? We begin to walk in the light. Said, Lord, I'm getting my lifetime to change. A cleansed heart is, is the first step towards a pure heart. It's also the discipline of walking in his ways, cutting off those things, remove them. Final verse, go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And here is the wonder of it all. 
of all this. Jesus said in that recorded sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, but as he gives these, what we term the Beatitudes, the blessed are, he gets to verse 8. And here is where your desire needs to perk up. This is where the whole issue of walking, having a hearing ear and a pure heart, is that he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you want to see him? Do you want to know him? It calls for purity in my heart. The psalmist said, search me, O God. I say, search me, O God. Know my heart. Today is a good day to do that. The blessing is the pure in heart will see God. Worship team, I'm going to come and we're going to do our best to sing. Stir my spirit, O Lord, I pray. To my ear that I can hear your word. Take pleasure and be glorified by every step I take. That's what I desire. Would you stand together with us this morning? Stand together and just uh, say, Lord, I desire one thing. I really want that. I want to follow you with all my heart, with all my life. I love hearing your voice, but I want you to find a, a place of purity that I can receive it and walk in what you show me. Holy Spirit, have your way in us this day as we wait upon you. Stir my spirit, O Lord, I pray. To my ear that I might hear Make that your prayer this morning. Sing it again. Stir my spirit, O Lord, I pray. Till I hear that I might hear your word. Take pleasure. By every step I take, give my life a temple for you, Father, as we stand here this morning, that is our desire, that every step we take would be honoring and glorifying to you. I pray, Father, as you work that this word in us, that we will see the results of that, the blessing that you promised, and we're going to know you better, able to walk in strength and victory in these days ahead of us because we need to hear your voice. Lord, grant us a pure heart by your cleansing power. Root out those things 
that we might walk with you in purity and in light and strength. Thank you, Father. Bless each one today as they leave with the word of God that they would walk out and follow that word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.